You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Happy Easter. It is so good to be with you on this day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you haven't met me, my name is Luke and I'm one of the pastors here. And a special welcome to the families and friends of those who are getting baptised today. We're so excited. We've got six people lined up for baptisms. I wonder if they could actually stand up just for a moment. If those people who are getting baptised could stand up. Here we've got Hannah, Yaskara, Moises, we've got Alani and Sophia and Tate. Where is Tate? Tate is somewhere. My son, Tate. is There he is. <laughs> Sorry, Tate, missed you there. But we're so excited. You can take a seat if you like. We're so excited you could be here. In fact, we've even had someone travel all the way from Tasmania to be here today. Hello, Leah. Thank you for coming. Um, apparently, apparently it's snowing in Tassie, so the beach will be warm for us uh, at Williamstown. So uh, very exciting. But here at City on a Hill, uh, we love to celebrate the story of Easter. And so we've heard the story of the, the reality of the people coming to the tomb and discovering that Jesus wasn't there, that the tomb was empty, that he had risen. And so we love hearing that story. But we also want to hear the story of Easter through the eyes of the individual characters. And so on Friday, we've been, we looked at a family, Mary, Martha and Lazarus. And we're going to look at them again today and tell the story of Lazarus. I'm sure you all know the story. It's an extraordinary one. But let's read from it in John chapter 11. You'll see it on the back of your sheets there. Verse 1, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When someone you love dies, it's like a great gnawing pain that drives deep down into your soul. If they've died suddenly, it's this horrible shock, a a gasping, take your breath away kind of horror. If they've died slowly, it's this numb, thick sense of sadness, a a grief that pins you to the ground and holds you there. And in the midst of that grief, that pain, you'd give anything to see them again, just see them one more time, to hold them, to embrace them, to say the things that you wish you'd said to them beforehand before they'd passed away. Wouldn't you just love that? Wouldn't you love to see the dead rise again? Well, in today's story, that's exactly what happens. This is a famous story, the resurrection of Lazarus, and we're looking at it today because I think it points to an even more famous story, 
the resurrection of Jesus. And the two of them together help us understand how Jesus did both and how he's going to do that for us. Lazarus was the brother of Martha and Mary, who we met on Friday. The three of them are clearly very close to Jesus. Jesus had 12 disciples. He had lots of other people who would follow him. But then there were some people that he was particularly close to, and that includes this family. Verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So when Lazarus falls sick at the start of chapter 11, Mary and Martha immediately go to Jesus. Verse 3, they send a messenger to him. So the sisters said, sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. They know that he wants to know this and they imagine that he'll do something about it. Certainly they believe that Jesus can do something. They've witnessed his miracles. They've seen him heal people. As one writer says, nobody ever died in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so knowing this, they want him to come. They send messages to him because they assume that he will do something about it. But they're in for a terrible disappointment. When Jesus hears about Lazarus, he makes no special effort to hurry to the bedside of him. Instead, he actually seems to deliberately delay. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And you sense the sadness and the disappointment when the sisters see Jesus finally arrive. Martha said to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Your sister Mary says the same, falling at Jesus' feet in grief. I mean, surely he could have done something. They knew the story of how he'd actually healed someone from 25 miles away. Surely he could have just said the word and something would have happened, particularly for Lazarus, whom he loved. So there's disappointment, hurt even. And you can see how it affects Jesus. There's few things harder than seeing someone else mourn. I always remember being by the bedside of my grandfather. Uh, my family had travelled to see him, hoping to see him before he passed away, and we arrived just a little bit too late. Uh, I got there before my dad, and when my dad walked in, I remember him rushing into the room and then realising that he was too late. And there was this groan that came from my dad. It was just the, the saddest sound I'd ever heard. And, and, and seeing him mourn made me mourn even more. And that's what Jesus experiences here. When he sees the people mourning, when he sees his friends, Mary and Martha, mourning, he bursts into tears. Verse 35, the shortest and yet the deepest verse in Scripture, one writer says, Jesus wept. But it's not just grief that Jesus feels. It's actually also anger. See, in this passage, verse 33, it says, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. It's a Greek word here in brumathsai, and it basically means something very visceral. As one writer puts it, such deep emotion seized Jesus that an involuntary groan was wrung from his heart. This word suggests an outburst of anger, someone says. He's so agitated in his spirit that he's shaking with emotion. Bruce Milne writes, what John tells us is that Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of inexpressible anger. Yes, he responded with tears, but the emotion which tore his breast and clamoured for utterance was just rage. Rage. 
Now, why does he feel this rage? Well, it's because as he's at this graveside of Lazarus, he sees and he can feel the impact of sin and death on the world that he created. You see, Jesus is all about life. Jesus is the source of life. He's the eternal Son of God, and so he's God. He is the creator, the one who gives life. He's the origin of all life. John 1, all things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. So, so all life comes from God. It's from Jesus. He's the source of life, and then he is the sustainer of life. Colossians 1 says he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Hebrews 1, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Everything that is alive right now, us, you and me, we're alive because Jesus is sustaining us. He's holding us in place. As David Garland puts it, we, he is the divine glue. He's the spiritual gravity that holds us together. So Jesus is the source of life, he's the sustainer of life, and he is the meaning of life. Colossians 1, all things were created through him and for him. Life only makes sense when we understand that it comes from him and he shapes and defines it. Life makes sense when we are in relationship with God. And that is the tragedy of sin. You see, in sin, humanity turns away from God, rips itself apart from God. In Genesis 3, we see this. Humanity breaks their relationship with God. The very first humans, Adam and Eve, they're living in the garden with God and for God, and so their life is full. It's beautiful. They're following his wisdom. They're discovering and experiencing his goodness. Everything is alive with wonder, and this life stretches out forever in front of them. But then in Genesis 3, the devil comes, the one who seeks to destroy, to kill, to steal, to, to take away life. He comes and he convinces them that actually they can have an even better life without God. They don't need God to sustain their life. And they believe him. They fall for it. But as soon as they do this, death consumes them. First, they experience a spiritual death, a, a sense of guilt and shame and horror and then the selfishness that starts to poison their motives. Then they experience physical death, the decay and then eventual death of their bodies. And they find themselves exposed to an eternal death, an eternity, an endless time separated from God. Their sin has broken them. Their sin has broken and cursed the world itself. And so instead of enjoying life, they're now under the power of death. That's the tragedy of sin. And that's what Jesus sees as he comes to the grave of Lazarus. The impact of this, the tragic impact of this. And that's what he mourns and that's what he's angry about. He feels the wrongness of all of this. B.B. Warfield writes, The spectacle of the distress of Mary and her companions enraged Jesus because it brought home to his consciousness the evil of death, its unnaturalness, what Calvin called its violent tyranny. In Mary's grief, he sees and feels the misery of the whole race and burns with rage against the oppressor of men. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but really his soul is held by rage and he advances to the tomb, in Calvin's words, as a champion who prepares for conflicts. 
But see, it's important that Calvin says he's preparing for conflicts because this is where the story turns. So at the moment, when we look at the gravesite, it's a very human moment. There's grief and there's anger. And don't we feel that when we see death? We feel grief that this has happened. We feel anger. We wish that this wasn't like this. That's how we feel about death and suffering. This is our human experience. But in the midst of this, this desolation, Jesus says something supernatural. Did you see what he said? Verse 25, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. In this moment, Jesus pierces the darkness with his light. It's an extraordinary statement. And what he's saying is, I can bring life from death. I can change this. I can overthrow this. I'm here to overthrow death and sin. And then he shows it. Then he proves it. In verse 43, Jesus steps up to the grave and with a loud voice cries out, Lazarus, come out. And then verse 44, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. The dead man rises. I just love how it's described. The man who had died came out of his tomb. Like we could be so familiar with this story that we forget what actually happened. This bloke was dead, like dead as a doornail. He was completely gone. Do you know, why did Jesus delay? Why did he wait for four days? Well, in Jewish tradition, uh, they had this idea that for the first three days after someone died, the spirit of that person would sort of hover around them trying to find a way back into their body. But then on the fourth day, it would finally give up and leave. And so the fourth day meant that that person was completely gone, completely dead. So Jesus waits for the fourth day. This guy, Lazarus, is completely dead. But Jesus raises him to life. That is the miracle that has happened here. And see the power of Jesus Gary Burge writes, when he speaks to Lazarus, this is not a whisper or a firm request. It's a shout of raw authority. Jesus has the power of life, the authority, not just to give life, to sustain life, to shape life, but also to give new life. That's what he has, the power of resurrection. It's a beautiful moment. It's the breaking through of life into death, and it shows his power. But it also points to the great challenge that awaits him. You see, this miracle could just have been for Lazarus, and it could have been just when Jesus was around. But for it to be something more, Jesus had to go through it himself. See, Jesus wasn't here just to kind of randomly raise a couple of people. He was here to raise all people anyone to new life who would trust him. But to do that, he would have to do it himself. He would have to go through death. He would have to die and rise again. And the only way for him to do that was to defeat sin. Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death. The reason there is death in this world is because there is sin. So to get rid of death, Jesus has to deal with the sin. And the only way to deal with the sin is for him to die for it. 
That's what he's happening. That's what he's doing on the cross. On the cross, we as Christians believe that our sins have placed him there, that he is dying for us, that he is taking the punishment that we deserve for our sin. But this is the glorious thing about the resurrection. See, the resurrection is proof that it worked. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died, but he rose again. It proves that he paid the full price. And so we can walk free. As we sang today, now we live forever because of Christ the offering. No fear in life, no sting in death, for our God has come for us and our God has paid the debt. That's what Jesus did. And the resurrection proves it. The resurrection confirms it. Jesus rose from the dead. And so we know that we can rise with him. Jesus has come to reverse death. He has the gift of new life and he offers that to us. And just like death was physical, spiritual, eternal, so life, this new life that Jesus offers is physical, spiritual and eternal. First of all, it's physical. Those who trust in him will rise to a new life. The dead in Christ shall rise. Yes, we will still die. Sin still has that power in us, but Jesus overthrows that. We will rise to new life, 1 Corinthians 15. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And Jesus also offers us a new spiritual life because it's not just in the future, it's in the here and the now, a new life. In fact, Paul calls us a new self. When you believe in Jesus and you get this new self, your life begins again. And he says it's possible only because the power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in his people. Can you grasp that? Like if you came to the grave of Lazarus, you came to the tomb of Jesus, everything is dead. Everything is cold and stony. There is no life there. But then Jesus starts a new one. That's what it's like in our hearts. Our hearts are cold. They're stony. They're dead to God. But then he starts something new. He rolls away the stone and he gives us new life. I read a story the other day about a guy called Takichi Ishii, who's a Japanese guy a number of years ago who was renowned for his uh, cruelty. He was sentenced to prison more than 20 times. He'd murdered men, women, even children. In the last of his prison stays, however, uh, he was visited by two Canadian women. Uh, he refused to speak to them at first and kind of threatened them, growled at them almost from the bars of his cell. But they left a copy of the New Testament with him. And after a little while, Ishii began to read it and he was transfixed. And he got up to the story of the crucifixion of Jesus and read this verse in Luke 23. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's what Jesus said on the cross as people were destroying him. And Ishii would say in his memoirs, I stopped. I was stabbed to the heart as if by a five-inch nail. What did the verse reveal to me? Shall I call it the love of the heart of Christ? Shall I call it his compassion? I don't know what to call it. I only know that with an unspeakably grateful heart, I believed. Here was this man who had sent Jesus to the cross. 
And now he realised that even on the cross, Jesus was thinking of him and was willing to forgive him. Ishi would still be sentenced to death. His crimes were so bad, but he accepted this as just and went to his execution actually praising God. He would write, people say that I must have a very sorrowful heart because I'm daily awaiting the execution of the death sentence. That's not the case. I feel neither sorrow nor distress nor any pain. Locked up in a prison cell, I'm infinitely happier than I was in the days of my sinning when I did not know God. Day and night I am talking with Jesus Christ. That's the power of the resurrection. The same power that brought life to Lazarus and brought life to Jesus in the grave is the same power in that man's heart. But you know what? I don't have to tell you stories like that from some book. I can tell you those stories because I see them in this room. I see the power of the resurrection in this room, in people's lives, as hope comes in dark times, as people find joy and faith in suffering. I've seen the resurrection in your life. That is the new life that Jesus offers. Now, I don't think anyone here is a mass murderer. I trust. If you are, just tell me later. We can pray with you. But what we see here is the glory of Jesus' resurrection available to anyone who will ask him, available to you, available to me. And this is a new life that he gives. It's not just physical. It's not just spiritual. It's eternal. It lasts forever. A life in God's presence for all time, the time beyond time. The resurrection of Lazarus is a little bit like a, the preview of what Jesus would do and the resurrection of Jesus is a preview of what we will experience. When Jesus raises Lazarus, he's like he's flexing his muscles, showing us what he's capable of. And then when he rises from the dead a week later, he's showing us what he's going to do for us and he's showing us what he plans to do in our very lives. He would say in John 11, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So do you believe? Do you believe this? Do you believe, first of all, that Jesus is God, that he is the origin of life? that he is the one who created you. Psalm 139, he knit you together. He handcrafted you. He is the origin of your life. Do you believe that he is the sustainer of your life, keeping you alive right now? Do you believe he is the meaning of life, the one who gives purpose and direction to it? Do you believe and understand that you need him, that all of us, all humans have turned away from him, that we haven't based our lives on him, that we've found our meaning in other things, and so we need to say sorry to him. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? Have you done that? And if you have, do you believe that Jesus has forgiven you, that he died for your sins, and even more, that he rose to confirm that? Do you believe that there is nothing left to pay, that he has done everything? And do you believe that Jesus has the power for new life, for you now, physical, 
eternal, but also spiritual. A new life that's now, then, and forever. Do you believe? Do you know, I often wonder what happened next for Lazarus. Like, what was the rest of his life like? I'm sure he became a bit of a celebrity. Uh, indeed, the village that he lived in, Bethany, is known in Arabic as Al Azayara, uh, which derived from the name Lazarus. I mean, he really put the place on the map. You can imagine people constantly asking what it was like. What's it like to die and to rise again? Like, is there a white light? And, and what, what's heaven like? I mean, maybe he even wrote a book, Four Days in Heaven, uh, went on Oprah or something like that. <laughs> but after all of that, he still had to die again. Death still here, is here in this world, so Lazarus had to die. He's not alive today. He still had to face death once more. But how different must his death have been? See, now he knew what to expect. He'd tasted life beyond the grave, life with God. And more than that, he knew the one who stands beyond the grave, the Jesus who was waiting for him there, the Jesus who was there to welcome him home. And we can have that too. We can know this Jesus now, later, forever. William Barclay writes, we call this world the land of the living, but it would in fact be more correct to call it the land of the dying. But because of Jesus, we know that when death comes, we do not pass out of the land of the living, we pass into the land of the living. Through Jesus Christ, we know that we are journeying not to the sunset, but to the sunrise. We know that in the most real sense, we are not on our way to death, but we are on our way to life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you today. We acknowledge you as the one who died for our sin and rose again. Thank you that you are the resurrection and the life, that you are the one who gave us life, sustains life, renews life, restores life. Give us, everyone here, new life in you through faith. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.